0: Like these songs on Christmas Santa Claus, the Grinch, the Greed Shiny superficial presents But never Christ on Christmas Eve I just want a hymn and prayer When they get all secular It's funny cause it's true All the songs on Christmas Are by Jews. Rockin' around the Christmas tree, what a happy little tune. It's catchy and chic, but lacks the mystique. See, it's written by a Jew. royalties. when you listen, on each repeat, their riches glisten. Uh, but try not to say Christ was born on that day. If you ain't groovin' with the Jew, then you're bad. The weather they've manipulated and their melodies are overrated. Still they're shilling these silly tunes. Weird, they're written by Hebrews. I'm dreaming of field to fish, jonesing for kosher lavkas too your streaming be dreary and trite, and may all your movies replace the white. So Rudolph, the obvious allegory, his composer's nose was so enormous. But if you ever notice more, the ADL will make you wish you weren't born. It's the most lucrative time of the year. It's okay, keep on spending your wages. A plenty inflation, no fear. It's the most profitable time of the year. Silver sales, silver sales. Christ kicked us out of the temple. Still we scheme peddling. Soon we'll consume Christmas Day. Have a hollow, shallow Christmas. Even this one's by a Jew i guess hanukkah is not good enough so come for jesus
1: (laughs) that's a riot (laughs) that's a riot (laughs) it's a good one isn't it oh it's terrific i uh yeah i was had you heard that one before no that's the first time i've heard it that guy's brilliant whoever he is it was a brilliant parody of what's brilliant.
2: he's called it The Foundering is the name. The Foundering. You can get them on Telegram. So, Mike, you've exposed a lot of this uh, already, though, that the Jews have written all these awful Jewish Christmas songs.
1: I I posted once uh, saying that, uh, I think I said that Irving Berlin de-Christed Christmas. And, of course, there's this outrage as soon as I say this. And one of the most outraged guys of all was the uh, the the fat guy from Seattle, Mark Shea, and he started ranting about how I was only an anti-Semite would say something like that. And then, of course, one of my friends posted. Actually, it's Philip Roth said that. It's a direct quote from Philip Roth, the author of Portnoy's Complaint. So this is proof that Philip Roth was an anti-Semite. Anyway dead silence after that complete silence after that, after he got caught with his pants down. Uh, but that's like typical of the reaction, typical of the reaction. It's okay when they say it, uh, but you're an anti-Semite. If you say it, anyway, that was a absolutely brilliant parody. It was brilliant. All of those songs. Yeah. It goes on for a bit longer. Yeah. All All of of
2: them. And they're so like, they're all about making people stupid making making people stressed i mean if i'm ever if i'm in a shop like it started in october really but i will always give out to them if they're and i always say to them could you not play some traditional actual catholic c- carols what's the problem there but they look as y- at you as if you've two heads
1: <laughs> yeah my, my my friends john and sharon knowles uh, just brought out a cd of uh, traditional celtic uh, christmas tunes it's a beautiful thing and it's prob. they would probably uh, offer it for sale if people are interested in traditional celtic music she's she's from scotland he's an american uh, they play irish music i played irish music with him in my uh sort of humble way uh but uh it's a beautiful a uh, beautiful cd i wish i could uh had the information right now but uh I can get it to you. I'll okay. post the information. we
2: look out for it. It's Knowles, K N O W E L O W L E S. is it? Is that right. their name?
1: Yes, yes, yes. John and Sharon, they yes. do a great job. She's a, uh, he, John plays the fiddle, Sharon plays the harp. Uh, one of the best harp players I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I'm just amazed at what she can get out of that instrument. Anyway, so it's out there. It's just in, you know, private companies. But the, uh, the uh, shopping uh, malls are still droning on. They start uh, after Thanksgiving. They start now before Thanksgiving. So you're sick of all these uh, Tin Pan Alley Jewish songs by the time you reach Advent. Uh, 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 but anyway, it's true. It's true. Every single song was written by a Jew. Everything song we associate with Christmas because they control the music industry in New York city. And it was a time when they made money. And I'm just starting to realize, I I think I've told you that I became a Jew and I didn't even know it. And it was around this time when I I used to call it my apostasy, but it was the time when I was living, working with Jews. I was working for Jews. I was in trying to get into the art world in, in Philadelphia. They controlled it and so on and so forth. But one of the things I realized before that time was the role that department stores played in the celebration of Christmas. I mean, it it doesn't exist anymore because department stores are all an obsolete form of retail technology. But I'm old enough to remember like the 1950s as a child and the entire floor of a big department store, a big building in downtown Philadelphia was nothing but toys. And and the, the season began in New York when Santa Claus would climb up a fire truck ladder into the window at Gimbel's. I think it was Gimbel's. I don't think it was Macy's. It was Gimbel's. There was a Gimbel's in Philadelphia. I think he even did that in Philadelphia as well. And everything was completely ruled that was determined. That was some more important than anything that I remember going to mass. I have a vague memory of that, but I have very definite memories about department stores. Uh, and the music that was played at department stores was the type of thing that that, that that guy just parodied.
2: So you remember that you actually, so at that point it had already taken over in America, you see, because it didn't happen here until really the eighties. I think like I definitely remember my childhood being traditional. The Christmas was always traditional and Santa had crept in, but it, Jesus definitely took center stage
1: in well, the, you, did, did you? I look, I uh, the first time I was in Ireland was in the 70s when I went to visit my relatives in Balahadrine. We were living in Germany, we rode a bicycle across to Germany, uh, Ireland, the wrong direction too, with the wind against us. But anyway, I don't remember seeing my, it. Sorry,
2: Mike, it's not called Balahadrine anymore. You know that it's no, called Alahadrine. 'Cause it's majority Muslim now. Sorry to break it <laughs> <laughs> It's just you just have to pronounce it <laughs> Allah. <Hadid>. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely don't say the words Jesus Christ if you go there again. Because it, you could be, yeah, you'd have well, the jihad after you, not for the first time. Bala. Oh, no.
1: no, because
2: Akbar. Allah I want to finish that story. And then I want you to tell me about the Knights of Columbanus kicking you out and you having to go to the local Muslim center. <laughs> so let's, we'll go back to Allah. hadrim. mightn't be as bad as we think, and then tell us the other story.
1: Well, I was there and I guarantee you there was no department store in al And when I went oh. to went to my my great aunt and uncle's farm, uh, they didn't have they didn't have running water they had a television but they didn't have running um, water and they had a thatched roof on the cottage and they had a turf fire and which you know we talked and we, that was nice but so obviously you can't celebrate Christmas the way we did in Philadelphia obviously you need all this infrastructure and it, it just wasn't there
2: uh-huh. it is now though let me tell you it is now they can't get enough shopping malls up quick enough in this country to keep the the sheep but
1: that, that's the, the cunning of reason. And I guess God wants us to celebrate Christmas properly because the department stores are all going out of business and the shopping malls are going out of business. When I got here to South Bend, Indiana, 40 some years ago, there was a mall that had just been built and Sears was the anchor store. And that was like that was the world as we knew it. And Sears is empty now. It's gone. And it's been replaced by Amazon because everybody buys online now. And this is obsolete form of retail. And so we're forced back into some type of uh, more modest uh, Christian celebration of Christmas. On the other hand, on the other hand, I have to say that uh, the biggest menorah I ever saw in my life was at the Chris Kindle Marked in Chicago, where all the Germans come to sell their cuckoo clocks, the biggest menorah I have ever seen. And that was there, and there wasn't a crash to be seen. Uh And I think that was actually Rahm Emanuel's doing, the man who never wanted to let a crisis go to wake when he became sh- uh, mayor of Chicago. I think that was his doing. But uh that's... Uh, oh. Well,
2: actually, did you see what happened? I think it was in the um, the, the Polish parliament. Yes. And I think it was... Did you see it? I think oh, we can did. show it here. Yeah. Um, but tell people, I think this is it here. Let me just see if I.
3: I don't know you
0: This is, first, this is the first.
1: This is the first time I've heard the soundtrack. I've I watched it a, a number of times. I hadn't heard this. Do you know what they're playing in the background? They're playing By Mirepis Duchaine, the classic klezmer. So they're playing klezmer music here. <laughs> <laughs> and Pan Pan Brown shows up with his fire extinguisher. I got it Yeah, and he say,
2: can you understand what he's saying? He's saying like that Han, uh, Hanukkah candle is satanic and it has yeah. to be put out. I don't know, was it yeah. is it a false flag? Is it like is he working? Is he sort of an agent? No, I
1: think this I think this guy is the real deal. By the way, I just gotta I posted that. I gave uh I gave uh, Pon Brown the Culture Wars Polish Fireman of the Year Award for putting out the uh, <laughs> the, the candles on the menorah. And then I got uh, emails in response uh, saying that uh, this guy, this guy is a fan of my of my writing. He He's, he's familiar oh. with my writing. I just got that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So I'm glad I gave Fantastic. him the award.
2: Is he one of uh, I was going to say Orbán's man man but of course that's Hungary. So no, this, um, is this is a this is a this is the real deal then this guy is Oh yeah. He?
1: This is real. This is real. So it's it's classic like okay so I go to the Chris Kindle mark and I'm totally offended by the fact that there's this huge menorah And this is an act of cultural aggression. Chris Kindle means Christ child. This is the Christ child market where the Germans come and sell their stuff. And so it's, this is a, an act of cultural aggression. But if you act, re, re, if you do respond to it in a proper way, which I think is what this guy did, they blame you. Wait a minute. That's an act of cultural aggression against the Polish people. It's an act of a cultural aggression against the people of Chicago. But no one's allowed to say it. But that, that they play, that they're playing by Mire Bis This is funny. <laughs> this is funny.
2: Sorry, explain the significance of that to to those who may not understand.
1: Uh, it's it's well. First of all, what is there's nothing sacred about Pimir Mire Bis Duschen." by Mire Bis Say it's the Andrews Sisters made it famous in the 1940s. It's like a a, a catchy klezmer tune. With the clarinet and everything. It's got nothing to do with religion. And by the way, and by the way, uh, what does Hanukkah have to do with uh, religion? That was created. I've, I've said this before. I'm going to get in trouble once again. Here I go again. What's new? Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the Jewish Kwanzaa. Do you know what Kwanzaa is? Do I have to educate the Irish people now about Kwanzaa? go for us. Okay, Kwanzaa was created in this is for black people. What is the purpose of it's an artificially created Christmas holiday to distract black people from the fact that this is the time we when we celebrate the birth of Christ. The over the overwhelming majority of black people in America are Christians uh mostly of the Protestant stripe. So, what happens? You get the CIA, gets a guy uh, uh, by the name of Ron Karenga, totally phony cutout uh, in the 60s to basically co opt uh, black uh, dissatisfaction, black movements like the Black Panthers, which were also Jewish, but this guy's even phonier. And Ron Karenga creates this ancient African tradition in 1969 in Los Angeles. So, you go to uh, uh, Kenya. And you say, oh, what about Kwanzaa? They say Kwanzaa, what's, that's the that's the word for one in Swahili. They never heard of it. And they got all these people believing that it's somehow some type of African thing. Well, okay, Kwanzaa is Hanukkah for black people. What, it, what <laughs> do I mean by that? Ha, it's a way to distract black people from the fact that they're Christian and they should be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ at this point. So what's Hanukkah then? Hanukkah is Kwanzaa for Jews. Now what does that mean? It was created at the same time. You can. This is this is uh, what's it called? Wikipedia. This isn't me. Look it up on Wikipedia if you want. But I mean, it really didn't come into existence until the 1950s in America. The same time that I'm going to all these Jewish department stores to celebrate Christmas, the Jews have to create some. Uh, phony holiday that will console them for the fact that everybody's happy here because they're celebrating Christmas and you're kind of left out. So it's a way of distracting Jews from Christmas, just as Kwanzaa is a way of distracting black people from Christmas.
2: Makes a lot of sense. That, that's their only objective at this time of year, to distract us from the real meaning of Christmas. And like, they're so unhinged. They they actually are driving people back to church, I think, because so. it's you, the only place that people I, can find any sanity and peace and quiet and beauty. It's the only place that there is any beauty anymore. So,
1: I think you're right. I think that's the cunning of reason, that the Jews always overplay their hand because they don't understand logos, which means also measure or limit. So you don't believe in that. You believe in chutzpah, which means you push it as far as it'll go and then get what you want. Uh, and if there's a reaction, blame it on the person who's reacting. So I think you're right. It is because I think what we're seeing, I, I think to, you you called it when you talked about that demonstration, that phony riot, you were right. It was a false flag operation. And and so what you what they're doing is trying to lead the Irish people into a trap. OK, so Veradikar says there are too many white people out there. And instead of being sensible and the Irish saying, no, there are no white people in Ireland. OK, there are only Irish people in Ireland. They jump on the bandwagon. And, and then I have to say and I, I and I get involved in this and I say, look, any Irishman who thinks he's white is a victim of identity theft. And then the Internet lights up like, who is this? Who is this? Who is this guy from South Bend, Indiana, telling the Irish uh, what that they're not white? Who is this guy? Well, I happen to be the expert because it's an American export. And finally, when everybody calmed down on the Internet, people started saying just that. The Irishman started writing back and saying, well, yeah, it is an export from America, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. That's exactly it. And if you identify as white, you're you're internalizing the commands of your oppressors and playing exactly into Veradikar's hands. That's exactly what he wants you to do.
2: Listen, Mike, this was what happened when you were trolled. Okay. I want you to look at this. This is what happened. Nothing else. Because nobody in Ireland in Ireland thinks that they are white, okay. So you were being trolled by an awful lot of fake accounts. There's, <laughs> there's a few uh, based out in the, in the um, Negev Desert, run by them. Okay, these people are not Irish. They're not Paddies. They're Israeli Jews in the Negev Desert. Right now, um, like. There's a few, there's a cohort of people who will remain unnamed who are agent provocateurs operating in Ireland, working for the state, working for Varad working for the Jews. And they call themselves, you know, white and nationalist and patriotic and freedom fighters and all of this. But if you were to sort of scratch beneath the surface of these people, and I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them, if you were to look into their personal lives, you would find things that would, you know, be very much against the idea of the nation, such as family breakup, um, you know, promiscuity, estrangement from their children, um drinking, like very heavy drinking, gambling, etc., etc. etc. And that leads me to my point um, that I want you to, the point that I want you to discuss. And how you describe people, Irish men who call themselves white, these, you you say, are guys who have given up practicing their faith. And it's so right. true. Explain.
1: Right. Well, I said in America, it's a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore. Uh, uh, I guess in Ireland, it's a Catholic who doesn't go to church anymore. But I think the main point here is that Uh, one of the uh, outcomes of the sexual revolution was people's lives fell apart. You started acting out on these desires that were going to make you unhappy ultimately. And you did it so long uh, that uh, you forgot your your origins. Uh, And then you woke up one day and realized you didn't have an identity anymore. And that's when the idea of uh, being white uh, uh, started to appeal to you. Uh, because you needed an identity because otherwise you're completely alone and defenseless. And that's precisely what happened uh, at Charlottesville. You know, uh, these guys got together and they decided they're going to uh, reassert their white identity. They were going to defend the statue of Robert E. Lee. And they didn't realize they were defenseless, first of all, and that they were being lured into a trap. Uh, I I talked to this, I talked to Richard Spencer, um, After that, he got me on his show, and I I pretty much said, "You know, why did you hand out spears and tell them to charge the machine gun nest?" And he just kind of laughed it off. But one of the guys who was on the show with me was Jim Goode. Classic example of what I'm talking about. I mean, he was he was so into uh, sexual liberation. He went to Temple. He was at Temple, I think, right around the same time I was in Philadelphia. Don't know much about his background. Uh, but in general, you're a Protestant, a Catholic or a Jew in Philadelphia. And I suspect I don't know what it is. I, I, if he told me I've forgotten. But he embarked upon that and he got so serious about uh, being part of the sexual liberation thing that he ended up in jail uh, as a result of spent time in prison, I think, for uh, some type of assault or other. But anyway, it's a classic example of what I'm talking about. By the way, some uh, he he wants to talk to me again. So I'll be happy to talk to him. He wanted to have a debate about being white. I, I, I prefer a friendly discussion about this whole thing. But if we do have this uh, discussion, I'm going to bring it up again and we'll go into detail. So, you know, tell me, tell me more, Jim. Tell me more about this transition you have, because I know you weren't born that way. And tell me, I was at Temple I ran at the same time you were. So let's talk about, let's compare our histories and see how you ended up on one end of the, the knife and I, or one end of the spectrum and I ended up on the other.
2: There you go. But I mean, this whole, like, I really want to drive home this point, though, Michael, about, you know, why we should not use the term white, because in doing so, we are giving away our national identity, which is Irish and Catholic. And it's exactly it's a Jewish narrative that they have set up to keep the divisions between the races, the blacks and the whites, and to ensure that their plan to get rid of nations, to get rid of the European continental nations, Ireland, UK, so they'll have their glo- globalist world where there are no borders. It's being used to create that dystopia. So every time you call yourself white, you are bringing about the one world order the one world government the borderless world that they're trying to create that's what that's they love and right. that's why i say these people like i'm not going to name them because if i do i'm not going to but you know who they are these people who are pushing this in ireland are working for the jews in my opinion
1: well once once you become white once you use that term the jew disappears and once the Jew disappears, then he's really happy because he always loves working from behind the scenes. You know what I mean? It's always something uh, that uh, if, if you don't know who you are and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. That's what Sun Tzu said. He was Chinese. So he wasn't white. He said it a long time ago and it's true. So what you have now is a combination of both of those things. Now you've got a, a, a Uh, Irishmen, or you got Americans who don't know who they are. And so they think they're white. Uh, Okay. So that means it's an admission. You don't know who you are as soon as you say that. And then because they're white, because they accept that determination. Well, the Jew is invisible. The Jew is white, isn't he? Again, if he wants to be, I mean, there are Jews now who say they're not white, but that's up to them. You have no basis. This is a category of, the mind that got imposed for political purposes in Virginia in the 17th century to divide the tobacco pickers, the people working on the tobacco plantations to divide the Irish slaves from the African slaves. And that's, that's what it's been ever since. So if you're, if you're but saying, it's never if, had, it's, sorry, sorry, continue Mike. If, if you say you're white, what right do you have to stay in Ireland? What, what right do you have? If you're white, you have no right. You just gave up your identity. If you say you're Irish, well, then it kind of makes sense that I belong to in Ireland and I should have a right to defend my country because I'm Irish. If you say you're white, well, then, hey, what? so what? Who cares? It's the same thing in America. OK, you can say you're white and you will be defenseless even in America. If you say you're Catholic, you are not defenseless. I mean, even admitting the state of the church is not what we exactly call strong at this point. We don't have Dagger John Hughes, the Irish bishop of New York, standing in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral with armed Irishmen beside him, defending it against the nativists. We don't have that anymore, Okay. But even in this weak state, you're better off having an identity than having no identity because at least you can take your stand. So what happened in America? What happened in America? A, a memo shows up in the FBI office in Richmond, Virginia, saying that they're going to target conservative Catholics as extremists. Well, what happened then? Suppose, they, suppose that memo had said they're going to target white boys as extremists. Nothing would have happened. But now, this is different. This is different. And so what happens is that the Senators like Senator Josh Hawley now drags Murray Garland into the Senate and says, "What is this business? What are you doing here? And Garland immediately backs down and says, no, no, that's not our policy. when he says, well, wait a minute, it's right here. It's in your, from your office. And he starts to back down and apologize because he doesn't have a defensible position because now he's attacking Catholics and you cannot attack Catholics. You're going to do anything you want with white boys, but you cannot attack Catholics. And Garland had to back that. And you know he's in trouble. What does a Jew say when he's really in trouble? I have relatives who died in the Holocaust.
2: I the Holocaust. Sorry. Every, I every
1: single Jew that got dragged into the Senate had to say that. You know they're in trouble. Whenever they say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. And that's exactly <laughs> what, that's what Garland said. When Mayorkas got dragged in for not defending the southern border, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Blinken does the same thing. So, you know, the Jew is in trouble when he says that. And he's in trouble because you can't attack Catholics. You can do it under the radar screen, which has been going on uh, ever since Catholics arrived in America. And certainly that's the story of my life. I mean, when I got ethnically cleansed from the Irish neighborhood that I was born into in Philadelphia, they were doing it, but they could never defend it. You can never defend social engineering. Once it's out in the open, yeah. they have to back down. And I'm saying this is going to be true of Ireland as well. It's true of Poland. It's going to be true around the world right now. It's the only thing you're going to be able to fall back on. I am guarantee you, if Pond Brown uh, stands up in front of the sign sh- and says, I'm a white boy, he's going to be laughed out of, the, of the, uh, the parliament. He won't do it. I mean, no, can poll you imagine our, be, no poll would ever be that stupid.
2: But no Irish person could ever be that stupid. I mean, can you imagine our Irish ancestors, Michael, hearing us use that term about ourselves? Like they would come back from the grave and murder us for that, you know, for all the centuries that they went through fighting for the Catholic faith, fighting for the right to be Irish. And now, you know, you have these fools going around calling themselves white and proud, white and proud. And but, you know, it is definitely used as a cop out. because, look, men have failed. First and foremost, men have failed. Men are supposed to be the dominant protectors of women and children. And I'm traditionalist and I believe that. And I believe that men are superior to us in many ways. and They have strengths that we do not have. We have strengths that men do not have, but they are supposed to defend the women and children. And so the men have been completely broken. And until the men get their act together morally and submit back to their Catholic faith, then there isn't much hope for the women and children. So by using the term white. These young Irish men that are using it, it's an opt out for them in terms of they do not have to submit to the morals of Catholicism. And that's why they're using it. I know I'm repeating myself, but it means, for example, that they don't, you know, they wouldn't seek to settle down, have children, get married for life and have plenty of children and raise their children as Catholics, it means they'd have to give up their promiscuous lifestyle, the boozing, the drugs, the gambling, uh, you know, the homosexuality, the death slavery. It means all of that. And it's so much easier if they call themselves white, they don't have to go along with any of that because right. there's no morality attached to being white. No,
1: it's whatever you want it to mean. And that means you have no defense. Uh, What it means right now is bad. Uh, What it means now is racist. If uh, anytime you say the word white, what you're saying is racist. So if you identify as white, you're saying you're a racist. Well, why do? Why would you do that? Why would you put a weapon into the hands of your enemies by doing something like that? The only reason is because they don't know what else they are. Like there's there is a problem here in America. Okay, I I was gave this talk. I mean years ago, years ago I was talking this way, and somebody came up to me and he said, well. My, my father's, uh, my mother's from Hungary and my father's from Appalachia or you know, the mountain region in, in Kentucky. And I said, I know you're from Detroit, aren't you? He said, how'd you know that? I said, the only place Hungary and Appalachia ever came together was, but he was, he was telling me that it was white because he didn't know who he was. And, and I can understand there is this issue in America. Okay. People come from all over. I'm biracial. I'm but my 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 grandfather from Cork uh, married an Irish woman he met in Philadelphia, and my father uh, uh, he had six children and only one of them married another Irishman. But everyone married a Catholic, and that's why Catholicism. My wife talked about the triple melting pot, the three ethnic groups in America: are Protestant, Catholic, Jew. After three generations, your religion becomes your ethnic identity. That means if you don't have a religion, you don't have an identity. And if you don't have an identity, you're going to lose every battle. And that's the crisis right now with this younger generation that like they're coming to me and they're talking to me, you know, about this struggle of being a 20 year old and being raised by a cell phone in a world that's completely crazy And how do how do you get out of this? And they got people now are telling him to lift weights. Okay, great. I I, there's nothing wrong with lifting weights, Uh, but it's not enough. And there are some people who could like I don't want to mention names either, but you can be a pimp and lift weights and you're going to be a role model for young people. That's a bad idea. Okay, and now there are people who are coming around. They're saying they're Christian. Well, that's good. You're heading in the right direction because now you're heading towards some type of identity because there is a content to Christian, to certainly content to Catholicism. There's more of a content to Protestantism than there is to white. Okay, it's not as good as Catholicism, but there is a content there, and that is a, a bona fide group of people in America. Okay, but. Um- the Catholics do have an identity, and we had an identity when we were growing up, even in Philadelphia. We had that identity. We knew somehow that who, where we belonged. We went to separate schools. We didn't go to Protestant schools. We didn't go to public schools, which in many areas were largely Jewish around that time. We had that identity, and then we lost
2: I think I'm. Am I, can you hear me, Mike? Sorry, I can, if, hear you. If, I can
1: hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah,
2: sorry, sorry about that. No, my my internet is messing up again. You see, and like Catholicism, Mike is it's a lifestyle and it's a way of. Distra- it's a distraction. It, it consumes your life once you. Go back to your Catholic faith. It can, it can really like, you know, we have a Catholic calendar. You can live your life according to right. our liturgical calendar. You can, you know, be involved in, in every single day of your life. You can be involved in your Catholic faith, you know, be it by going yes. to mass, by yes. praying, praying the rosary. It's very structured. Okay. And we have this incredible catechism. Which is all about the way to true happiness, and it is based on the words of Jesus Christ and nobody else. And you know, people are missing out so much by saying, "Oh no, I'm, oh no, I'm having nothing to do with that." Um, you know, it's uh, it's so sad. They just don't know what they're missing.
1: Yes, but there's another there's another angle to this. Okay, I, I agree. The Catechism is the synthesis. It's an organized body of material that is consistent and will help you lead a, 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 have a successful life. But that Catholic faith was not an abstraction. It did not exist off in some platonic realm of pure form. It was enculturated all throughout Europe, okay? So there was never a Catholic faith that didn't have a people who living in a certain place, speaking a certain language, and they enculturated that Catholic faith all across Europe. And every single country was Catholic up until the the looting operation known as the uh, Reformation destroyed Catholic unity in, in Europe. But even after that, it was still, you were not simply an abstract Catholic. You were an Irish Catholic or a French Catholic or a German Catholic or a Polish Catholic. In other words, this was yeah. incorporated into the life you led. And when those people came to America, they were allowed to form their own colonies in big cities. And they were called neighborhoods and parishes. And those parishes at that time were purely ethnic because you Catholics couldn't even talk to each other. The Irish and the Poles couldn't talk to each other at that point because they spoke completely different languages. The same with the Germans. And so they lived kind of side by side. And it was the best engine of assimilation the the Americans ever had. No one did it better than the Catholics. Uh, And just the, the allegiance, if you look at somebody like John F. Kennedy, the allegiance these people had to America after being here for a certain amount of time. That wasn't long it wasn't long. It was like three generations, and they were completely Americanized, and they were ready to take over. But what, the point I'm trying to make here is it was always specific. It was always a specific form of the told-you-how-to-live, what food to eat, even side-by-side. Side. That was the experience of growing up in Philadelphia. You know, like these people ate spaghetti, and these people ate pierogies. And I don't know what the Irish ate. My grandfather, my German grandfather used to see, you know, you see a lot of Irish bars, but you never see an Irish restaurant. So nobody knew what the Irish were eating at this point, but they ate mm-hmm. something and they all had, they all had their, you know, separate cultures. And that's when they knew who they were. And the high point of that was kind of the 1930s when they had the, the unity and the coherence that allowed them to uh, 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 the beginnings of political power. And that's when they stood up to the Jews and and put the code on Hollywood. And the Jews never forgot that and worked forever to, to, to break them down. And that's the story, the sad story of what happened. So it's time to regroup because there's, this is the last ditch. There's no place else. There's no place else to go. Either you go back to that (laughs) or you're going to be obliterated.
2: Yeah. But I mean, until the men of the West get down on their knees and start praying again, and that means that they will get off their knees, um, you know, and and the whole thing about white as well, using that term white, if you're Irish, then you see people who are black can come along and call themselves Irish as well, and that is an impossibility. You cannot be black and Irish. Impossible. Now wait because a to be what,
1: Irish, about, what about the Black Irish?
2: <laughs> it's a it's a it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. <laughs>
1: Those were people, no, there they, were only ever they were two. the people that washed up after the Spanish Armada on the on the west coast. After oh almost, yeah, their ships went down. All the Spaniards that got washed up, and then they uh, uh, added their genes to the uh, Irish gene pool. But anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead.
2: Well, they may have brown eyes like myself, Hazel, actually, but um, no, we know, we know what Irish blood is. And, you know, we do have blow-ins, Vikings and Normans. Yes, they are here and they know that they are not fully, you know, green-blooded people, but we accepted them. But and they became more Irish than the Irish themselves, but they're Europeans. But. You know, you have to draw the line when Indians start calling themselves Irish, as our uh, Taoiseach does. He's not our Taoiseach. But um, just getting back to what you were saying about this struggle that young men have. And I put up a video earlier about the Jewish um, control of pornography and how they brought pornography into the world. Let me just... I'm sorry now to to bring this up, but Mike, you're very, very strong on this issue, especially when it comes to helping young men. So let me see. Actually, I don't know is that, but there was one comment on this video, which is a bit seedy, but I do want to read it out because it sort of epitomises in some ways the thought structure that people young men have around the use of pornography so if we can play this very short clip first and it's only one minute and then i'll just read out that comment and get your views on it mike and it, it is a little bit uh distasteful but i do want you to to answer it if possible
3: of course the porn industry, because it's like kind of the senior cousin of the hollywood industry which had already been controlled by the dudes um and basically, they pretty much just took it over. The godfather of the modern-day porn industry, his name is Ruben Starman, um, who was actually an Orthodox Jew. He owned over 200 bookstores all around the country. He's actually my godfather. What the Jews did pretty much was they revolutionized the adult industry and made it their own. Um, so there was no space for anti-Semitism, and they basically controlled everything. But back in the 80s, the only way you could get pornography was to go through someone like Ruben Sturman, And he controlled... You know, all of his stores and all the stores that um, that he didn't own, they had actually had to pay him a tax um, to carry his product. Ruben Sermon, actually, eventually, he died in prison. Um, not from They tried to get him from obscenity back in the 80s, which was a big thing. Um, and uh, it actually still is. There is an obscenity arrest today. Um, but uh, he eventually died in prison because of tax evasion because he didn't want to pay taxes. Back in the 70s. The majority of the male porn performers were Jews.
2: Sorry, now to uh, subject you to that, but this was the comment, uh, Mike. Have you any thoughts on that little clip?
1: Yeah, sure. I got. This is this is when I started uh, leaving the circle of uh, people who were fit for polite company. I was scheduled to give a talk to a, I think it was called Crossroads or something, some type of ecumenical group, and that's when the first article came out that eventually became uh, the jewish revolutionary spirit and it was about jews and pornography and all i did was quote other jews the same way what this guy is doing you know it's been jewish from the beginning okay okay, you're going to talk about ruben Sturman and the film clips in the 1970s let's go to today let's go to right now who owns pornhub the biggest that was the biggest it may still be the biggest, but it certainly was the biggest distributor of pornography on the internet throughout the world. And uh, not only does a Jew by the name of Solomon Friedman own it, he's a rabbi. Now, why is a rabbi, like, a, a man of God, is that what he, a man of God? Why does a man of God own the biggest uh, porn outlet in the world? Well, because he's a Jew. And because Jews know. The pornography is one of the most effective weapons they have in cultural warfare, because it completely obliterates your mind and makes you a docile slave to whatever they propose. That's what they know. I said this, I wrote the book 2003 libido dominandi, sexual liberation and political control. I wrote the book explaining that. Okay. One year after I wrote the book, the Israelis show up in Ramallah, take over the TV stations and broadcast pornography to the Palestinians. And I said, is that because they uh, uh, Americans think pornography is freedom because they've been told by some Jew that that's the case? That's what Solomon Friedman's saying. Well, did that mean the Israelis wanted to bring freedom to the Palestinians? No, it's warfare. And I said that back then. I, that's the speech. I've given that speech all over the world. And it's not in libido dominante. We're bringing out a second edition. Okay, so it will be in the second edition. But it wasn't in the first edition because I predicted it and they did it. They did exactly what I said after the fact. So if you don't know that, uh, you should. Because that is just that thought alone. Just saying sexual liberation is a form of control had an incredible effect In 2019, among a group of young people who had been raised by looking at pornography on their cell phone. Suddenly, some of them just stopped watching it because I said that. And they realized that it was a form of control and they don't want to be controlled anymore. Sometimes to struggle because it's a vicious habit. Okay. But that's when the word came out. And I had to suffer at the beginning. I was I was expelled from polite company. I was expelled from the synagogue of conservatism. But it's true. And everything that has happened since that time has vindicated my position.
2: Absolutely. And this comment, um, Mike, that is under my, what is going on here? Um, Sorry now about this. Something very odd. Always, always, always with my stream. There we are. Okay. And this comment, most men are in a bad place right now. Not all porn users are perverts. Most are men who have no intimacy in their lives. There is a natural sex drive. There's nothing dirty about needing normal intimacy. And I would argue that a great many of them are trying to achieve marriage. The marketplace for potential partners is becoming more and more like pulling a plow in the desert. Young people don't even want to get married, have children or any commitments for that matter. It can be mar- argued that the vast majority of porn stars do it for money. Most relationships and marriages today are just as crass. They're just as fleshly, phony and uninspiring as porn. I don't blame a young man for, a, I won't use the word beginning with M, self-abuse, we will call it, self-sexual abuse to straight monogamous sex on video. Many, probably most of these young men will never find a serious partner. So basically, Mike, the trust of what this person, I don't know, is it a Jew, is saying that they can find intimacy in pornography, which is the exploitation of women, the reduction of women to a, a sex toy. It's the most disgusting I, sexual activity—that you—it's not sex. Sex is about procreation. It's—it's—it's. It's, it's, look, you can explain it better than me, Mike. This sort of thing really makes me sad, though.
1: Yeah, well, it's not just uh, Dennis Prager, who is the, known as a conservative Jew, has defended pornography and masturbation as saying that it's acceptable. Well, the, you know, you—you—you'll find that they will never go against uh, what they're what their tribe is profiting from. And that that's part of the problem here. Now, when this this guy, uh, who whoever he is who said this, you can feel this kind of defeatism. Uh, this man it doesn't understand uh, the power of the gospel and the power of the grace that comes from the sacraments that can transform people who are in really bad states of addiction. And so rather than say it that way, the way he is saying, like I can understand why they would do that. I, I turn it around and say, look, if, if you want to uh, attract a member of the opposite sex, uh, you have to be attractive. And if you get involved in these ugly habits, you're going to be ugly and people will notice it. You'll become uh, isolated. You'll become a kind of deformed. I guess the, the best example I can come up with is the the character Golem in the Lord of the Rings. That's what you become. And the, the ring, uh, even Way Tolkien describes it is like a bad habit that you keep participating in, and since evil is the privation of being, you start to cease to exist. You you begin to fade away, and if you're fading away and you don't know who you are, no no one's going to find you attractive. Why would they? And so it becomes a vicious circle. So the more you find that women are not finding you attractive, the more you get drawn into this world of illusion. And, and and vice and self-abuse, and it, you spiral down and down and down. Well, the good news is you can break that habit. You can break that habit. I know people who have broken that habit, okay? Sometimes it's a struggle, but you can break that habit, and you can bounce back. And I know people who have told me, look, they told me, I read your book. I read Libido Dominandi, I stopped doing what I was doing. I met a woman. We got married, and now we have children, so thank you. So it's possible. I've gotten those endorsements already. It's possible by the grace of God.
2: And, and I would say also like coming maybe at it from a more feminine perspective um, to try and help young men who are so, because I really think most, I mean, 99.9% of women, I would say, want nothing, no hand act or part in this, but they maybe would feel under pressure to take part on, in it because of, their husbands or their boyfriends. Um, so I think it is a male problem. Now, maybe I'm naive and maybe I don't understand the, the young women of today. But the thing about going back to your Catholic faith is, and why I say it is a fantastic distraction from these awful vices that are all around Young Men's Day, you know, have... Have a statue of Our Lady in your bedroom. Our our Lord, have Our Lord on the crucifix. If you are struck down with this addiction, and that's what it is, it's a vile, perverted addiction, then the only way you can get out of it it is some sort of a, a demonic possession. When you have, especially Our Lady, I find, because Our Lady is the ultimate woman that every man should um Be besotted with. She's the perfect, pure virgin who deserves absolute and total respect and love and worship. And so I find even just having maybe a picture, something like that, of the Madonna and child or or crucifix, I think that that is something that could help men. Because as I said in my reply to that guy, you know, it is perverted what you're involved in. And God sees everything. God sees everything. And instead of trying to pleasure yourself in a sadistic, perverted way, think about the agony of Jesus on the cross whenever you're trying to satisfy your own passions and control them, control them and think of his suffering for you. And, and it is, I suppose it's a form of Maybe mortification doing that, you know, that you'd feel utterly disgusted and repulsed at yourself for what you're involved in, and you would never want to have anything to do with it again. Go to confession, confess it, and leave it in the past. That's what I would say to young men who call themselves white.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of uh, narcissistic, it's like the video game fantasy. You have this illusion of omnipotence and the reality of total lack of control over anything. And all you can do is sit on your couch and, and press buttons. That's, that's the world that uh, the, the you're supposed to live in. But the world that we do live in was redeemed by Jesus Christ. And this is the time when we celebrate that because the world was sunk in the darkness of sin. And at the darkest moment of the year, the light came into the world. And things start getting brighter, and that's so. If 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 the the fall of the department stores has some benefit, it's getting you to get meditate on what really happened during Christmas, as opposed to some Jewish uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, sentimental fantasy uh-huh. that led you astray.
2: Yeah. All, all these songs, Mike, are about breakups at this time of year. You know, it's all about the heartbreak and the last Christmas. And it's so depressing. <laughs> you know, all these Jewish songs, whereas why not go back to our traditional Christmas and, you know, Handel's Messiah. I know you love, um, uh what is the, the back um Sleepers. Was it Sleepers awake. Yeah, Sleepers awake. I was trying to actually
1: Sleepers Awake. You can there are a million versions on YouTube and it's such an inspirational song, but it's also uh this time of year. It's Advent. I mean, first of all, we nobody mentioned Advent. Advent is the time of preparation. Uh it's not the time to go yeah. to the department store and buy toys. It's a time for preparation for the light coming into the world. And Sleepers Awake is that, it captures that, I don't know, it's just such a powerful melody. I tried to bombard Germans with the idea. It comes from their heritage, but it's such a powerful idea of waking up like the, the night's over. The light has come into the world. It's time to wake up. It's time to take control of your life and order it the proper, give it the proper order by following the logos of God's word and the moral law. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen.
2: Now listen, before you go, before you go, tell me about what happened with the Knights of Columban. You call them, (laughs) we call them Columbanus, Knights of Columbanus, I would have said, but there's Knights of Columbus too. Great Irish saint.
1: I have, uh, so I was scheduled to give a talk in Dallas uh, and so they went to the Knights of Columbus again uh, I already given a talk at the Knights of Columbus Hall I am a Knight of Columbus This is a fraternal society a you long-standing anything- It's not Phi Beta Kappa It's not Mensa Where you have to have an IQ of over 150 To be part of this club All you have to do is show up and say you're a Catholic And then they embrace you as a fellow Catholic It's a fraternal organization All right. So anyway and uh, everything's fine until they do a little publicity for the talk. And then it's on the Catholic network. And of course, what happens whenever my name gets mentioned in Catholic circles? I have said this so many times, you know what's going to happen. They Google my name. And then as soon as you Google my name, what is the first thing that comes up? It is the ADL attack on me. So what does this mean? It means that the ADL is now, now determines whether you are a Catholic in good standing. This is bishops do it. Priests do it. Knights of Columbus do it. So as soon as they Google my name, uh, they cancel a written contract. Wait a minute. This is the rule of law. This is not just fraternal organization. You signed a contract, Joe. Joe Sanchez is the grand knight down there. I hope he hears this, okay? So my friend calls him up (laughs) and says, wait a minute, Joe, you just broke a contract. He says, I'm not going to debate with you. (laughs) Brother Knight, wait a minute, talk to me. Will you, Brother Knight? We're brothers, right? No, we're not. So, okay, they cancel the contract. This is contempt for the rule of law. These are these great Catholics. They They don't even hold the secular law in any type of respect. So what happens? Who takes me in? The Muslims. <laughs> the islamic the Sir, islamic, play to them. islamic center of Urban. Allahu akbar the muslims took me in Allah akbar. <laughs> so i show up there absolutely <laughs> so i show up and there are muslims in the audience okay this is the this is god's hand in this thing Okay, this is exactly what happened at the time of the gospel. The chosen people rejected Jesus Christ, so we turned to the people, to the Gentiles. Well, my brother Knights rejected me, so I turned to the Muslims, and they take me in, and I give my talk, and uh, everybody liked it. And the Muslim come up to me afterwards and says to me, if you're here in town again, we'd be happy to host your talk the next time. So Allah Akbar. That's all I have to say.
2: <laughs> what more could you say? There is nothing more to say. <laughs> Fantastic. What a story. The Knights mm-hmm. of Columbanus should mm-hmm. hang their heads in shame. It just how how far they have fallen. How far they have fallen. Yeah. Well, Mike, the book is going great. The latest Holocaust narrative, and yep. I'm making my way through it. It's just such a great read and I know it's doing so well. You you're having to do your second have you done a second Not, yet, run not yet, but already? we're heading we're
1: heading toward that. We're gonna to have to do a second run pretty soon.
2: Excellent stuff. Great. Okay, everyone knows where to get it. It's fidelitypress.org or culturewards.com. And please subscribe to Culture Wars. You've got some great articles there this month. Saul Alinsky, and also I'd be very interested to read that about Calvin. Was he a homosexual? That's a,
1: really, an incredible story, an incredible story. You'll, you, I, I. That's all I want to say. Read the article. <laughs> read the okay. article.
2: Okay, okay. I have no doubt that he probably was. He, um, we have Calvinists here in Ireland called the Burke family, and their son is in jail at the moment um, because he. He refused to stop going back to school, which was asking him to use um, different types of pronouns. not the Oh, normals, really? Yeah, I too. know that
1: story. I know that story.
2: You know that story. But they are, unfortunately, in my opinion, a little bit over the top. And I do believe it is down to their Calvinist um, beliefs. So we're praying for their conversion to the one true faith. But anyway, maybe people could share that article and send it to the Burks uh, because they might be interested to know that he was a, a homosexual. I believe he was, was he?
1: Well, <laughs> he's the article. It was a it's I I, I I'm gonna say this. It was a Presbyterian ministers who wrote the article. So they're Calvinists, they should know. Anyway, oh. it's a really fascinating story. Fascinating story.
2: Great, great. Okay. Michael, I want to wish you very, very happy Christmas. Thank you for all of your great insights, amazing interviews during the year. And all of the help and love that you've given to Ireland, because um, you're very, very much appreciated over here. I hope you do know that. And, um, you know, we, we are very proud to call you Irish. So, well it's an honor so to much. be
1: it's an honor to talk to you Gemma there will be a time when there will be statues erected to your honor in Ireland where you stood in the breach and stopped them in their tracks and you will be the Joan of Arc of Ireland I guarantee you that thank you it's been an honor to talk to you
2: oh. thank you so much I doubt that but thank you so we'll talk again anyway Hope maybe before Christmas, but if not, definitely in the new year, Mike. So, God bless and take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us.